0: So having said all of that, let's dive into the message. For those of you who haven't been with us, we've been doing a series called The Great Comeback. And the whole idea behind this series is this idea that over the last 18 to 24 months, you and I have been experiencing the waves of life and the storms of life. And there are currents that are threatening to derail us from our faith. And if we are to have a resilient faith, we need to nurture something within us, something of God's power and reality within us that is greater than the world outside of us and that is going to outlast the storms around us. That is the only way. And yes, the wave might get you underwater for a few seconds, but you're going to come back. And so the verse we've been looking at is a verse that many of us know very well. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 13, where Paul is looking into the future after Christ returns. And he says, out of all of these things, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so we've been talking about a comeback faith, a comeback and a resilient hope. And today we're going to be talking about the greatest of these, a comeback and a resilience love. This last week I was reading a very interesting article about a New Zealand guy who uh, just over 40 years ago moved to South Africa. Why? Because he met and married one of our wonderful South African ladies. He was a dairy farmer. He had studied agriculture. And after doing all of that, both in New Zealand and here in South Africa, he decided to make a major change in his life for two main reasons. The first reason was something that he noticed in his dairy farming, and that is when a mother rejected a baby calf, that calf produced less milk later on in life. The second catalyst was this. His wife passed away, and he, as someone who was not as present to his kids as he wanted to be, thought to himself, how am I going to fill this void and give these kids the love that they need? And so instead of leaning out and getting busy with life, he decided to lean into this and make a major change in his life. So he started studying sociology at UCT. And one of his first big research projects was to research 5,000 young adults trying to understand the difference between what happens to them as children and their achievements later on in life. And you can imagine some of the major things that played a role in that. Of course, financial resources, financial resources, opportunities, education, all played a major role in helping these young adults achieve later on in life. But do you know the single greatest factor that if presence brought about a great chance of achievement and if absence stunted those chances of achievement, that is the presence of love. This is secular research, by the way. You see, he discovered that our brains are most malleable. They're most like sponges in our first thousand days of existence. That's our first three years of living. That is when our our brains are most susceptible to being wired and being transformed. And he discovered that those who were receiving just good, consistent love from a parent or a caregiver in their first thousand days, their brains were literally wired for long-term planning and long-term success. And the reason being, all this love and and the love hormones, oxytocin and dopamine, carved out a riverbed in their brains so they could access those chemicals long-term in life. But the kids who weren't fortunate enough to receive that kind of love, their brains were short-circuited for short-term Stability, short-term survival. Instead of having this, this riverbed accessing these wonderful chemicals, stress chemicals like, uh, uh, like adrenaline carved a reality and hardwired a reality in these young people's brains that they could adapt and survive for a week, maybe for a month, but they couldn't think long-term. So isn't it, isn't it incredible that the single biggest factor is the love that these kids received, which is why so many of our people in our church are involved, looking at Che, looking at Door of Hope, involved in these young people's lives at this stage. And isn't it amazing that Jesus says, or that God says in his word to us, that the greatest of these is love. So let's define what we talk about when we talk about love, because you've heard me say so many times how much I love steak how much I love fishing, how much I love watching good movies. And just to use the same kind of paradigm as last week, let's call that kind of love small L love. But then I can say, but I love my kids. I love my wife or I love my God. And that's a different kind of love. Let's call that capital L love. You see, the first kind of small L love, it's all about short-term reward, how it makes me feel. It's all about me in the short term. Whereas capital L love, and there's most certainly a beautiful joy and a pleasure to be experienced in these relationships, but it's not going to be defined by what I get out of it, but what I put into the relationships. And so those relationships are going to be defined by commitments and at times great sacrifice. And so when the Bible talks about love, is it talking about our love steak? Or is it a talking about the second kind of love? And I think we make a big mistake when we swap those two around. When we sacrifice capital L love, we sacrifice relationships for hobbies and joys and pleasures. Or we treat relationships like we do the small L love things. Oh, well, I'm done with the t-shirt out. Oh, well, I'm done with this relationship. We're out. So when the Bible talks about love, we're going to see in a second the kind of love that they're talking about. So let's read together 1 John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles here, this is the kind of passage that you want to highlight the whole thing because there's so much in it. But we're going to look at this passage to help us understand the kind of love the Bible's talking about. And then we're going to get super practical. So 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 onwards. Dear friends... Let us love one another. For love comes from God, not from the notebook movie, not from Oprah, not from your feelings. Love comes from the source of love who is God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, made alive by God, and knows God. We're going to talk more about this in a second, meaning I maintain a living and vital relationship with God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Not love is God. The world that we live in, denying that we have a God, is always going to try and fill his place with something And there are large portions of our culture that try to say that love is God. Love, according to our definition, is God. Whereas in the Scriptures, we've got God who is a person. He is spirit. He's not made up of flesh and blood as you and I are, but He's a spirit person, a being, a majestic, powerful being, but He is concentrated, pure, and perfect love. He is the source of love which is going to be so important in a second. This is how God showed His love among us. The kind of love that God defines is a love that is not contained in feelings. It is a love that is necessarily displayed and put into demonstration. This is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Didn't send us a card or a WhatsApp. He didn't tell us how how fuzzy he's feeling inside. The kind of love that is defined by our God is a sacrificial, ultimate commitment to our good and our eternal good. This is love. We're about to get a definition. Not that we loved God. In other words, love is not defined by my love for him. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And since His son, once again, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, dear friends, since God so loved us, put differently, dear friends, since God loved us in this way, we also... Ought to love one another, and I can add, in this way. So there's just a the basic understanding of the biblical idea of love, which is quite different to the love that preoccupies our timelines on our social media, right? Right? So let us be sure to import the right idea of love here. But as I said to you, we're going to get super practical here. So if that is the kind of love that we need, the kind of love that is resilient, a comeback love, the kind of love that is greater than the world around us, how can we nurture that kind of love? And the starting point is, just follow the logic here, if God is love and if love comes from God, we need to first receive from him. Receive. Now, I don't know if you've ever been here in church. I mean, I've done this and I don't think it's wrong, just sometimes insufficient. And he said, Guys, if you want to know the love of God, just receive. Just receive. The keyboard's playing, our hands are in the air. You know how many times I've tried to receive, felt nothing. There are no doubt moments when God climbs into our world and overwhelms us with his love and pours his love into our hearts. And those are special, beautiful, life-changing moments. But haven't you found that it's like, it's like there's something in the way? I want to receive. I know God wants to give, so what's going on? I want to just bring our attention to a powerful story that I think helps explain at least some of the things that get in the way between us And God, especially when it comes to receiving His love, is found in Luke 7, verses 36 onwards. Jesus is at a Pharisee's house having a meal. Pharisees, for those of you who don't know, were the big religious leaders of the time. They had this external religiosity. They tended to look down on sinners and people who weren't like them. They, by the way, prided themselves in their love of God. With regards to how they externally kept the law of God. While Jesus is reclining having a meal, a woman walks in. Now, that's not like you're in my home, she's got to get through security gates and five dogs. This is the Middle East, very small town, you know, sociable. Woman walks in, and everyone's like, oh, not her. Because everyone knew her, she had a reputation. You see, she had a promiscuous lifestyle and was known for that. She walks into this religious leader's home and yet she's so deeply emotional. She goes and sits by Jesus' feet and her tears are literally falling onto his feet and so she takes her hair and some incredibly expensive perfume, about a year's worth of wages and starts wiping Jesus' feet with her tears, her hair and this perfume. You know what the religious leaders think? They're like, that's not how we do things around here. By the way, those are the words of a dying church. That's not how we do things around here. Anyway, they're like, that's not what religiosity looks like. That's not how we deal with prophets and men of God. If anything, this is proof that Jesus isn't a prophet because if he was, he would know the kind of woman she was. Jesus knowing all of this. It says here in verse 44, and then he turned towards the woman, but said to Simon... Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which would have been customary of the time. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not even give me a a kiss as a greeting. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. So let's talk about why God's love was so real to her and so far from Simon. You see, in her case, no one had to tell her what she was. No one had to make her feel ashamed for the lifestyle she had lived. She knew she was a sinner. And she knew she needed grace and forgiveness. But she also knew and found that grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And so this act of hers was a tiny trickle Of love compared to the love that she had received from God. Simon, on the other hand, what is his response? Firstly, judgmentalism. Ah, she needs grace. I I don't. But we all know what she does, she's a sinner. Listen, let me tell you that if the first thing you see in other people is their sin without seeing your own. Not only is that just not cool, and you're being judgmental, but you are literally cutting yourself off from the supply or the realized supply of God's love. Secondly, his self-righteousness. You see, his love was based on his pride. Look at what I do for God. Look at how I tickle the boxes. Her love was based on God supplying her need of grace. And because Simon was blind, and because he was judgmental and self-righteous and a hypocrite, Jesus isn't saying that he had small sin. He was just blind to his own sin. And so for you and me, the way we're going to do that is, as I've mentioned earlier, when we just see sin in others but not in ourselves. But also probably even more dangerous is when we don't see our sin in our heart for, for, for the following reason. We know how to play Christian. We know how to act church. We know how to live in such a way that people look at us and go, that's what a good Christian person looks like and we forget what's really going inside of our hearts. We land up living in a false reality. We land up living in our masks and our projected selves. And as much as we think we get applause from people around us, we are cutting ourselves off from the oxygen of love that we need from God. And guys, this is vital. The The kind of love God is calling us to is a radical love, is a love that endures, a love that endures hardship, a love that endures rejection, a love that endures pain, a love that loves people who are differently to, different to me, who vote differently to me, who think differently to me, who eat and sound different to me. I love them. If anything, this kind of love, just like Jesus did to us, is going to love our enemies. So if we are to love like that, this is nothing short of a supernatural love. And so it has to start off with us receiving that kind of love from that kind of God. So I want to encourage you just to let your mind land on a few things that are maybe in the way with you. Maybe God is calling you just to admit that you're not who you pretend to be, not to condemn you, to love you. Firstly, we're going to receive. But as I mentioned earlier, we're also going to relate, be in relationship with this God. Jesus says in John 15, verses 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, some of your Bibles say, now abide. In my love. This is in the middle of a larger section about remaining or abiding in Jesus. And this whole idea of remaining or abiding is choosing to remain in close, intimate relationship and a flow of love with Jesus. Maybe there have been moments in your life where you just feel like God is distant and God's love is distant. And so we say things like, Oh, I really need to go back to church sometimes. Maybe I should try reading the Bible, and all of those, as I'm going to say in a second, are good things. But sometimes that can be grossly insufficient to help us connect with Jesus. Because what we need is not church twice a month, what we need is to move into a relationship daily with Jesus. Just think about how you nurture the kind of relationship where you can be you, where you are influenced. There's a free flow of love and trust. Just now do that with Jesus. So to keep a relationship alive and vital, what are we going to do? It's called communication. You're going to talk to Jesus. It's called prayer. You're going to hear from Jesus. It's called reading his word and hearing his voice. You're going to get real with Jesus. This is who I am. saw off. I call that confession. You're going to rely on Jesus' power to be with you during the day and give you what you need. I call that repentance. You see, the answer isn't in the external dynamic of any one of these things. That in itself is a dead-end trap. The answer is the degree to which these things facilitate relationship with Jesus. Approach is everything. And so I want to encourage you, if you want more of His love in your life, you need to draw near to Him, and as Paul says in Acts 17, to discover that He's in fact not very far from you and remain and abide in relationship with Him. But something else we need to do, and this one isn't easy or fun. It is we need to repent. In short, we need to recognize the things in our lives that have received the love that God deserves from me. We need to get brutally honest here. Now, maybe you've heard people talk about, you know, what do you love more than God? What do you love more than Jesus? That can be confusing. Because must, you know, must I love my wife less? Must I hate my job? Well, let me give you a verse that I think really helps us here. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. I want you to notice the verbs in these two sentences. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. I want you to look at the verbs synonymously used here with the word love. No one can serve two masters. The master I love is the master I'm going to serve. And the second sentence, the master I love and serve is the master I'm going to be devoted to. So who or what are you serving? Or who or what are you devoted to with the kind of love that God deserves? Now, of course, that doesn't mean, oh, does that mean I can't play golf? I can't get new clubs? Does that mean that I I can't do some things that I enjoy? What about serving my wife, being devoted to my family? There is a way of doing life that we serve and love people around us and we're devoted to the people around us because of the love that we have in God. And there's a way of doing life that we serve and are devoted to people and things around us instead of. Do you see the difference? So we need to get real with those people and those things in our lives that have gotten the love and the service and the devotion that God deserves. One more diagnostic verse from three verses earlier. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, you want to know where your heart is, follow the money. Well, Stephen, you know, I've got a bond, school fees, I need to feed my family. Does that mean I must give like 80% of my money to the kingdom? No. If you feel like it, please, by all means. You've got great dreams here. But once again, when all is said and done and I've evaluated my heart and my motives and I follow the money, is there anything in there that shows you where my heart is? And what does that little diagnostic show you? We need to repent of that, turn from that. The fourth re for us today is to rethink To rethink. The scripture is talking about being transformed by the renewing of my mind. Thinking differently about things. Let me ask you. Those times where you felt like God's love is distant. What was the metric you used to come to that conclusion? I struggle with exactly this, where sometimes I'm measuring my feelings and because I don't feel God's love, that must be proof that God isn't near me or loving me. Sometimes it's my circumstances. Because life is hard, because I'm in the financial dwang, Because my health is struggling, that is therefore proof that God doesn't love me. Or maybe because I look at my relationships, because marriage is hard, life is hard, friendship is hard, I'm alone, we conclude at a heart level. We know with our brains this is not true, but we conclude at a heart level. Guys, we've just been through 18 to 24 months of tough times. Why do you think so many people have left the faith in these 18 to 24 months? There are many reasons for that. But one of them is somehow at some level, these difficulties mean that God is not near to me. Now, if those are your metrics, if that is how you determine whether or not God's love is real to you or not, let me shock you with the following statement. Then God the Father Did not love his son. There were times where Jesus didn't feel the love of his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus didn't live in a palace with Uber Eats delivering food all the time. He didn't sometimes know when his meal was going to come. He experienced thirst, he experienced hunger. There were times when Jesus' friends betrayed him. Where people that he created rejected him. He experienced physical pain like you and I, please Lord, will never experience. And not for one second did he conclude from any of that. That the Father did not love him with the entirety of heaven. And so if that is true of Jesus, maybe we need to rethink, renew our minds. Guys, I'm so convinced God is speaking to us this morning. And one of the reasons is, Shauna, you had no idea. I was going to read the very same verses that you encouraged us with earlier. But I want to read them again. Just while we're in this, listen to these verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble We go through trouble. We think we're separated from the love of Christ. Or hardship or persecution or famine. There's no food on our tables. We conclude we're separated from the love of Christ. Or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is the Apostle Paul saying, our life also wasn't very easy, but that doesn't mean we were separated from the love of God. No, in all these things... In all these tough times and moments of grief and loss, in all these things, we are still more than conquerors through Him who loved us. None of this is evidence that God's love is no longer near to us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any other powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. In other words, nothing, nada, zero, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think the most important two words in this whole passage are those words in Christ. Let me ask you, for those of you who are Christians, what percentage are you in Christ? 20? 40? (laughs) I hope you know you are 100% in Christ. And therefore, you are loved with 100% of God's love. So we need to rethink what we interpret about God's love when we're going through tough times. And finally, I want to just speed up a bit here. We need to respond. We need to respond. Just by the way, this sermon could be about 20 hours long. Thankfully, it won't be. But there are so many more. So if I skip some stuff out, to share the Love it Life group this week. John 14 verses 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, thank you, Scott. But I know that some of you read that verse and it's like feels a little bit uncomfortable. It's like a test. I don't know if your wife, I'm not saying anything about what happens in my home, but if you love me, you will. Put your underpants away. Hang the towels up. Cook me a nice meal. Take me on a date. Now, doesn't that tend to kind of do the opposite in you? It feels like a test, like a challenge. So I used to read those verses in the same way. If you love me, you'll obey me. Oh, okay. You know, there's a few verses later that clarified this for me. John 14, verses 31. This is now about God the Father loving the Son and His life of obedience. The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So what is true of that verse becomes true of the previous verse. And so when Jesus was living a life of obedience, Was it because the Father was up in heaven with his hands on his hips, looking down his nose with one eye half closed, going, I wonder if my son loves me. Let me see if he obeys me. Because if he does, yeah, yeah, okay, then he loves me. No. This is where it all comes together. Because Jesus was remaining in the Father's love, relationally, And because Jesus was always rethinking his circumstances in light of what is true. And because he knew his father's love. And because he knew his father, he knew his father's will was good. He loved the will and the kingdom and the way of his father. This wasn't a test for Jesus. This was an invitation to do what his father is doing in the world. Go read this whole chapter on your own. By the way, these few verses I've ripped in some ways out of context. This is a chapter on the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I command, it's not a test. It is an invitation to draw near to him, to know him, to receive his love and see his will and his way and his kingdom as good. And then to experience the joy of saying yes to my God. The joy of being filled with His empowering presence. The joy of seeing His kingdom. And as I do that, I lean into Him. I relate to Him. I receive His love. I am empowered to obey. So we experience a cycle of love and receiving and obedience. So maybe some of us aren't experiencing the love of God because we've been stepping out of that cycle. There are things that God has called you to do in obedience. What do your children do when they know that they did the wrong thing? Man, you're the last person they want to see. And so God is calling me to obedience in something and I've seen him as this taskmaster up in heaven testing me. As opposed to this God, he wants to love me. And so I do everything to avoid him. And so I'm cutting myself off from receiving his love. I want to end off with this verse and just one final thought. Paul says, Galatians 5, verses six. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Love, this kind of love, is what faith looks like. This morning I was, I was praying. Just asking, you know, Lord, as I often do, is there anything else you just want to deposit in us? And I'm not a big one for reading too much into like life's metaphors. But this morning as I was praying, I just felt the Lord impress this onto my heart. Some of you know that uh, there were parts of Joburg South that were without power for about 24 hours. That's frustrating. It's irritating. But the more that time drags on, you start to see all your batteries go flat. All your devices run dry. Eventually you get worried about the milk in the fridge. You just quickly open the freezer, feel the meat starting to get soft on the outside. How long is this going to go on for? And early yesterday evening, the the lights came back on and we were just celebrating, so happy. And, you know, I was thinking, we go for days and, and weeks and at times even, even in South Africa, at times months, without thinking about that at all. That there are millions of things that we do every single day that relies on that power. We don't think about it. Then there are some exceptional things that we sometimes get to do with that power. Throw a big party, go and watch a big concert or a laser show. Lights at the zoo over Christmas. Do you know it's the same power that we take for granted every single day? And so I was thinking about our lives and. And God, and just the fact that I think we forget in the millions of daily tasks and steps that we take how much we need to rely on God's love and His power. Because there's a world of a difference between those so called ordinary tasks that are supplied by that power and those that are not. It's ordinary. Now listen, I want to see extraordinary things. I want to see God do supernatural things. But by me staying plugged into Him through these millions of ordinary things, I'm available for the extraordinary things. It is not a different kind of power. And so I'm inviting you as we wrap up in prayer, to consciously step in, plug your life back into Jesus. And maybe you won't feel the extraordinary right from the word go. But let's start with ordinary life done with Jesus. Ordinary ministry plugged into Jesus. Ordinary church and ordinary marriage and ordinary sermons by the power and the love of God. And then let's pray for and let's trust God for the extraordinary moments and seasons of miracles and breakthrough and big things. But let's not despise the small things. So church, I wanna invite you to plug into Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, you are Permanently available to us. And for so many reasons, our grief, our loss, our pain, our sin, our shame, we have just started unplugging ourselves. And just like my meat doesn't go rotten overnight, just like my cell phone battery didn't drain in five minutes, so my life doesn't fall apart immediately. But eventually the battery of my soul dies. My faith and com- my convictions grow soft. And I sadly engage in new normal without the power and love of God in my life. Father, I pray for anyone who is in that place to catch the vision that you have for us, that your love is available to us. and that we can choose to relate with you. We can choose to plug our lives back into you. We can choose to do the natural life and the supernatural life with you. Father, maybe you've highlighted something for us. You're drawing our attention to something that is specific for every single one of us. Why don't you just draw our focus to that right now? So we don't walk away saying that is a nice message. But we actually respond to you, Lord. And we move towards you. Give us that grace, Father. And Father, as we walk with Jesus, you're going to lead us to take the next step and the next step and the next step. I pray that during the course of this week, for every single person here and online or listening to this at a later stage, there'll be a moment where your spirit opens up our lives and our eyes to your love in a way that is beautiful and powerful and unmistakable. God, we need that kind of resilient love. This world needs that kind of resilient love. And you want to love us. In fact, you have loved us like that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.